Welcome to the Real Developer Podcast, where we get into some real conversations about UK land and development with real SME developers, brought to you by Trusted Land. So in this week's episode, we met with Lee Harris from Real Developer Rehoboth Property International, alongside my co-host, Andrew Hosford from Pure Structured Finance. And we dove into three things that were really important to Lee and, and the company, which is the importance of buying deals now, especially, but all the time, at the actual value rather than waiting for the hope value as such. We also talked about the advantage they have and the track record of dealing with faith groups and churches as a bit of a special focus and how they help those groups to add value as well as creating great property and residential opportunities from that. We dove into the importance of land representatives communicating and understanding the vendor motivations and vendor story. And finally, we took a second to recognize Lee as the face of the previously annual 2021 Rural Developer Index, a moment of glory for the poster boy of last year. Lee Harris and his business partner, Sanmi Adegoke, have now had eight projects verified by Trusted Land since they officially formed in 2018. So they've been very busy and they have got some amazing stories to share as well. Don't forget, as always, you can go to trustedland.co.uk to download the quarterly Real Developer Index find track record information and key requirements from experienced SME developers. Make sure you hang out to the end of the episode where my co-host for today, Andrew Hosford from Pure Structured Finance, gives us another timely, interesting insight from the world of debt and equity. Now let's get into this week's episode. And now to introduce your host, Alex Harrington-Griffin. Hi everyone, this is Alex Harrington-Griffin. Welcome to the Real Developer Podcast. I'm joined today by co-host Andrew Hosford, from Pure Structured Finance and Lee Harris from Hoboth Property International, one of the real developers of the 2022 cohort. Morning, Andrew. Morning, Lee. Morning. Morning. Thanks very much for joining us. As I've given audience uh, a little bit of an intro into Rehoboth as well, and a little bit of the facts and the track record and what they've done previously, I think we're going to jump straight into some of the juicier stuff, which Lee, you're the only person who provide that for us. Are you able to give our audience a little bit of an intro into the story of Rehoboth and how you came to join the firm? Yeah, so Rehoboth property has been going for about seven, eight years. Started by my business partner, Sammy as a niche property consultancy that basically specializes in places of worship, leisure buildings, and basically acting on behalf of faith groups to either buy or sell property for them, as well as management as well of their portfolio. So it's really kind of niche in what it does. But as the kind of years went on, it kind of evolved into a development company, which focused more on repurposing buildings, doing more joint ventures with churches, and taking on investment projects as well. So I kind of joined the firm to bring that development experience to the table. And yeah, we've been kind of going now for nearly two years. Awesome. Okay, Lee, going on from that, I mean, the, the, the places of worship thing is quite a niche area to be in, I, I suppose. But can you go into a couple of your sort of favorite deals that you've been involved in that uh, maybe some of our listeners aren't aware of or how you navigate that places of worship type deal? Yeah, so it's places of worship. It's quite a specialist type of property but it's something that we as a business have a lot of experience in. And it's just kind of knowing what church requirements are and being able to recognize what would be suitable for them. So we've got a really good understanding of what a church would need. And that can be things like parking, auditorium space, pastor's office, and just the facilities that they would actually have to have. So when we go and see a leisure building or a courthouse or a former nursery or a bingo hall, we know straight away if it's going to be suitable for a church client of ours. So the deals that we kind of do with churches are quite creative in the sense that they usually involve 
repurposing the building, so creating that space for a church or for a place of worship, but then utilizing any additional spaces as well. So that could be car parks, it could be airspace where we could build above, it could be maybe splitting the building up. I think one of the best examples that we have as a uh, joint venture with the church is one that we're doing in Camberwell, which is a former bingo hall that we sold to a church group. But what they had with that building was a huge car park at the back, which was basically surplus to their requirements. So we kind of brought our development experience to the table and we are basically managing the process of taking the car park through planning. And we've now submitted, well, we submitted a while ago for 43 flats, including affordable, as well as an extension of the church building, which happens to be listed. So that's a prime example of how we kind of utilize our relationships in this niche sector to also bring kind of creative development opportunities to us. And that's a really cool scheme. It's, it's in a really good part of London. You've got 43 flats. Um, it's been recommended for approval and it's due to go to committee, I think, after the election in May. Okay. So it's not specifically just you build a church or mosque or temple. I'm assuming you do multi-faith. Yeah. But if there's a development angle as well, then I guess even better for you guys, a bit more complex and something else that you can obviously bring to help build up the area around the church or place of worship. Yeah, because a lot of these church buildings, they're not the typical kind of Church of England, you know, amazing listed buildings with the spirals and the stained glass windows. They're more kind of bigger leisure properties, mm. former bingo halls, courthouses, you know, anything that can accommodate a large congregation, which most of the time, this is what these church groups really need, just because their kind of membership is so huge. So yeah, it's not churches in the sense that most people think. So what you usually get with these buildings is a lot of extra land, you get spaces maybe that aren't being utilized. So it's great. I mean, it's been great for me, because coming from a development background, it's always good to have kind of new and niche opportunities to look at. And most of the time, these are deals that other people aren't really seeing. It's purely as a result of our relationships with these faith groups. Yeah, It's a really cool angle to have. And, and we try and do things creatively and you know work with the community to make sure everybody's happy. Lou, let's delve into your background a little bit. So you're previously from Linear Homes, is that correct? Yes. So how was that transition? And what has kind of been your adjustment to your approach? Because obviously coming from the development space, we all know it's why real developer exists is because we know that, you know, we don't always have the greatest reputation outside of the industry. And I would imagine sometimes faith groups, sometimes the average property developer in the light that sometimes they're portrayed in the media as well. How did you kind of make take that leap from going from a private company that I suppose has, you know, sort of a quite an open view of development like Linear, going to Rehoboth? and having that specialism and having to, you know, I suppose, adapt your approach a little bit? I think the, the background that I had really kind of helped me because I'd gained all the, the knowledge and the insights and I had kind of the experience in planning to basically bring that to the table when I went into business with Sammy. And I think that's really helped me. But the adjustment has actually been fine. I mean, Sammy and I have been friends for quite a while. You know, we, we knew each other's personalities. We knew what our strengths and weaknesses were. And, you know, from the first kind of day that we started working together, we were complimenting each other straight away. So the adjustment has been good. I think when you're kind of doing your own thing and, and you're, you know, managing your own process, emotionally, it's probably a lot more difficult. You're not really relying on somebody else to raise money and you're not really relying on somebody else to kind of be there. Everything falls down to you. And, and that's been a, a bit of a challenge for me. 
but it's also been in- incredibly rewarding and it's yeah I'm definitely happy in the place that we are now how did you meet Sammy your business partner we met through work I think I think I probably so during my time at Linear obviously a big part of my role was building relationships with agents and property companies so I think I probably must have targeted Sammy at some point because he was selling a building or I don't know maybe he was I actually can't remember but it was something to do with a building that he was selling and I went to meet him and we just hit it off straight away and we just became really good friends and you know we would discuss deals together he would offer us a lot of opportunities he ended up selling us a really good site that we developed so it just became one of those relationships that kind of always stayed with you and when I decided to leave it was kind of nice to have somebody there that you know was going through that process that was building up this really amazing company that was doing these really niche developments and from the first day we had things you know I, I had things to talk about and I had you know, when I went to meet people, I could say, look, this is what we're doing. And yeah. we basically had a track record already. So it was great for me. That's a nice turnkey piece as well. I'm, I'm always intrigued at how sort of people come across and form businesses together. I've always been a solopreneur. I know Andrew and his team with Tom and Harry, you know, they'd known each other beforehand, but we had for our audience sake, we have developers boardroom, which is our private meetings for real developers. And we invite guests, special guests to come in. And we had Alex Price from Fiera Capital back in February, sorry, March. And what Alex shared with us is they don't, they rarely back a solo developer just purely because of the risk aspect and also the fact that they know it can be a lonely game. So I think it's always intriguing for the development community, especially the SMEs, to look at how business partnerships may be formed in what is a very complex space always. So yeah, it's interesting to have that kind of background and have the time to, I suppose, see Sammy in action before you made that move to come over. A hundred percent. And I think what you said is spot on having somebody that you can bounce ideas off. I mean, I'm probably a bit of a warrior in the sense that I, you know, when there's an issue that comes up, I'm like stressing out, how are we going to solve this problem? And then I ring Sammy up and he's kind of so, he's so laid back and he's just like, look, this is what we're going to do. And it's always nice to just have that bit of support that's always at the end of a phone call. So you, you don't feel like you're on your own. Being an entrepreneur, I can imagine, can be a lonely place. But when you've got somebody that's going through that process with you, it just gives you a little bit more security. And um, yeah, things never seem so much of a problem as, you know, when you've got somebody else to bounce a solution off. Yeah, Yeah, it keeps the energy higher for you guys as well, I'd imagine, being able to pick each other up when you need it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about, we know one of those things that can create a little bit of personal disappointment is losing out on opportunities or, you know, for joyous moments and gaining opportunities. Let's just look quickly at Robert's Properties Q2 requirements. So we're in Q2 2022, as we're recording this. Obviously, we've talked about faith sites, but Lee, you and I have looked at all sorts of sites together in the past. You're a three-time accredited developer. So I think it's just worth reminding our audience the kind of things that right now, Robert, are looking at. So we've got you uh, down as looking in counties of Essex, Hertfordshire, North London, Northamptonshire, and Kent. Land deals up to about 2.5 million circa, with a minimum GDV of around... 1 million plus. So that's an absolute minimum in terms of the gross development value of the site. Ideally, sites of up to two units to 50 units, that's obviously residential. And you would look at new build and conversion. And ideally, looking at resales, a minimum starting point, £400 per square foot, up to about £800 per square foot. You have obviously been involved in creating apartments, involved in houses. I've seen a bit of HMO material as well. That's something you guys are happy to assist in doing. And you normally look for without planning or just before the point of permitted development. Is that all correct? Yeah, sounds correct to me. I think I did those requirements, so they should be correct. Okay, well, good. 
Well, listen, it's all good and well having those requirements and there's a lot of activity in the market. There's a lot of buyer demand at the moment. How are you and Rehoboth, I suppose, approaching some of those key challenges like, you know, you, you take sites without planning, like the sort of the planning delays. How are, what's your approach to overcoming those or being prepared for those at the moment? Yeah, so I think first of all, just on the requirements part, it's it's always difficult when to kind of pin down what your actual requirements are because we're a young and kind of creative business. So even though there are basic requirements, we might see opportunities that don't fall into yes. those parameters. But it's we still might want to buy them. We still might see an angle. We still might think there's somewhere where we can add value. So I try not to give requirements out too much. I would rather just kind of see an opportunity and see where we can do something with it because. At the moment, we're doing planning gain, we're doing PD, we're doing HMOs, we're doing straight refurbishments, we're doing all sorts. We're buying something consented, we're buying a straight investments in places like Peterborough. So we actually cover quite a wide range of different sectors and different types of deals. So whilst I think the requirements give a good kind of outline of what we are as a business, you know, we're happy to look at anything. If we think there's an angle, we'll, we'll have a look at it. You know, between the whole team, we've got a lot of experience and we've got a lot of ideas. So, And it's worth noting for our audience as well that obviously we're talking about that from a real developer perspective, which focuses primarily on residential land yeah. for the land audience as well. So that's the requirements you have with real with trusted land real developers. So just to clarify for our listeners. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Okay, well, let's get into the tricky one. So what is the approach? How are you approaching some of the challenges you've got from the resi development side at the moment? I think planning is a big issue at the moment, which I think you'll probably get that same answer from a lot of developers, but it's true. You know, applications that sh should be determined in three months are taking 10, 12 months, you know, and every month that you're not getting planning, you're paying an in interest costs and finance and, and it's becoming a really big issue. Build costs obviously is the obvious one. I think they've gone up 40% this year. Is that right? Okay. Which is making things a lot more difficult. You know, appraisals aren't looking as good as they used to. So how are we overcoming them? I mean, we're trying to be more creative. We're trying to buy more deals at value, recognizing value on day one and buying something where even if you don't get planning, you're st still not going to lose money. You're still buying it for kind of its market value or less, or basically kind of adjusting the types of deals that we're doing. So maybe doing less planning risk, more PD-led stuff, which arguably is a little bit easier. And just kind of thinking about, you know, what our challenges are and how can we overcome them? Because we're still growing as a business and, and we've got big ambitions. So we don't just want to stop doing something, but we want to keep thinking about ideas of how we can be better and, and how we can beat these challenges. You touched on something there that I'd like to pick up again a bit more. It leads into the next question. If you've got a delay in planning, obviously you're you're going to be paying interest, as, as you previously mentioned. What's your? I mean, you can go into as much little detail as you want, but what's your sort of funding and finance sort of general setup when you're acquiring sites, going through planning? How are you guys funded? Are you taking debt to acquire sites that don't have planning, or are you, are you using your own equity and then refinance? How does it work from your side? So it's mainly through private investment. So we're backed by a handful of high net worths that are, you know, that have been working with us for a while that kind of recognize that, you know, we're a young and creative business and we have a lot of energy. We bring a lot to the table and that's kind of our selling point when it comes to investment. And yeah, I mean, obviously some deals are funded through debt, through senior finance. But the majority of it is private investment. And how is that just old relationships that you and Sammy have built up over the years? Or is there a sort of specific pool of people looking to get into, well, 
a general development that you know, but also the faith angle? Does it, it does it come through through those avenues as well? Is there a sort of specific group of people that you know that just like funding churches and and mosques, etc.? Yeah, it's, it is mainly relationships that we've built up over the years. It's it's friendly money. It's people that like doing interesting projects. You know, we always find that churches are a nice selling point because it's not something that most people do. Mm. And when you're investing in a property deal, it's always nice to do something a little bit more interesting and something that you can tell people about in the pub and whatnot. So that's why we've got a pretty good reception from people. But we're lucky that we we have good mentors. We've got really good relationships with with investors and they kind of believe in what we want to do. And, you know, they're happy to support us. Excellent. Lee, you're a three-time accredited real developer, and I will remind our audience that you were actually featured with a Cobra Protection mask on the cover of the Real Developer Index in 2021 for a whole year when it was still was an annual piece as well. So your uh, your eyes, I mean, should be well known around the property development space at least. Yeah. My modeling career is going to skyrocket after that. <laughs> <laughs> well, if Mel Mascaro, you know, becomes the next biggest thing in development, then you are you are the man to go to, apparently. Yeah. You've sat through quite a few of our virtual sessions last year. We brought in panels of agents, land agents, land sources to talk about the market. And one thing we always press them from, you know, whether it was Samples and Cushman or Wakefield down to sort of smaller commercial agents is, you know, how can developers be better land buyers? You know, what can we what can we remind them of the kind of fundamentals that build good relationships, that get good introductions and ultimately support good bids. It's not just about the number on the bit of paper, it's about the, you know, the whole approach. But one of the things I think we want to start looking into is also recognizing for our land audience is how can we help them do what they do even better by giving them a little bit of feedback or, or sort of guidance notes. So with that in mind, Lee, I'm going to press you for your first bit of uh, feedback to the land community in terms of how does, how does someone bring a deal to Robert and really strike through so it's at the top of your list and something you get excited about? I think having the full picture is really important. So when an opportunity is being presented to us, it's good to know what the full story is, why they're selling it, what their situation is. Are they moving somewhere? Are they closing down a business? What do they want? Do they want to sell it unconditionally? And why maybe are they happy to kind of sit tight and do a subject to planning or an option deal? The more information we have, basically the quicker we can come back to you because we don't have to be asking again for, for more history on the deal. And I think the biggest bit of advice that I would give to people in the land community, mainly agents, is just basically be honest. I mean, is the site deliverable? And the reason that I say that is because when we get an opportunity, we take it quite seriously, especially if it's come from an agent that we know, or even an agent that we don't know. We, we look at everything properly and we appraise things thoroughly. We do a lot of research into our due diligence process. So we don't really want to have our time wasted. And when it comes to actually looking at something and it actually stacks up, usually we want to move on it straight away. We don't want to waste any time because in our industry, you can't afford to wait. If you're not buying it, somebody else will. So give us all the facts on day one, be 100% honest, and just kind of know that when we're looking at something and we kind of say, we'll buy it, we're going to buy it. So we don't really want to have our time wasted. That's probably my biggest, biggest advice. I mean, I, I rarely see agents that are dishonest. You know, it's, it's, not, some, it's not an issue. But it's always something that kind of makes you stand out, having giving that full picture, having, the, you know, being honest about all the details, just so we can do our job properly, basically. Does that kind of answer the question? Definitely, definitely. And I wrote down twice, you know, the, the point about why selling the motivation. That is a huge part. And I think that's often where, from my perspective, from Trusted Land, bringing sites to developers, that that's where the magic happens is, is understanding the vendor's position and then, you know, where the creative solutions or recognizing 
their situation where they need to move fast, whether it's a family. Yeah. Designing your approach according to who are you buying from potentially. I think it's important because when we're doing a deal, we want to make sure everybody's winning. So if we understand what their whys are and why they're selling and what they need to achieve, it makes our life a lot easier to kind of come up with an offer that will be more suitable to them. Okay, then final question then for you, Lee. What does being a real developer mean to you guys? And what are the characteristics that you think make up a good professional developer? It's a good question. I think integrity, honesty, being open with people, I think developers have this reputation that they're they're just out to nick everything but that's not the reality i think if you are transparent in what you do even if it means doing less deals you're going to be better off in the long run and i think for us it's probably the honesty i mean we're always open with people about when we're making an offer if we can't get to the level that they need we always explain why a lot of the times we'll share our appraisals with people and we'll try and educate them a little bit on what current costs are, finance fees, sale costs, what our profit margins have to be, otherwise nobody's going to back us or, or give us any money. Yeah. So that has always been important to us. And yeah, it's something that we do as practice. I think just being transparent in everything that we do is a big kind of uh, selling point for us as a business. Yeah, I, mean, I guess that, that all plays into the relationship of it all. Yeah, because it's reputation, isn't it? It's all about reputation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, even if it means doing less deals, we're happy with that because we're trying to grow organically as a business. We're not trying to, you know, take over the world in, in the next year. And reputations take a long time to build. Yeah, but quickly destroyed. Exactly. Gents, thank you very much for your time today. Really, really enjoyed that. And for our audience, if you want to learn more about Rehoboth, head to trustedland.co.uk, download the latest quarterly index and you'll find track record piece and a bit of insight beyond what we've shared today. And Andrew, thank you very much for your insights and questions today as well. Any sort of insights you want to gain from Pure Structure Finance, head to their website. They are all in good search engines. Gents, thank you very much. Thanks, Alex. And Lee, lovely to chat with you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot, guys. Before we end the episode, I just wanted to thank Alex for having me on as co-host. I'm Andrew Hosford from Pure Structured Finance. And as he mentioned, I just would give a little bit of an insight into something that we've been seeing in the market recently. And that is lenders more willing now to lend against the purchase price rather than strictly against the current market value. But what's the difference and why is it relevant? Well, if a client is buying particularly well under market value, there's always been a resistance from the majority of lenders to recognize that. So they will gear against the current market value rather than purchase price. So in effect, the client's been punished almost for buying it well. Now we're seeing a number of lenders out there happily gearing up to sort of in the 90s, 90%, 95% of purchase price, which will potentially average out around the sort of 70, 75% of market value. Over the last sort of five to 10 years, we've come up against it where the lenders geared 70, 75% against the lower value. So you could almost say that a client's being punished for buying it well, certainly not being able to borrow as much money as they would like. That's something that we are seeing more of. And I think it will probably continue as clients are looking to buy sites with pre-planning or that are looking to amend planning slightly. Thank you for having me on today, Alex. It's been a real pleasure. It's Alex Harrington-Griffin again. Hope you enjoyed that episode of The Real Developer Podcast. We'll be back next week with a new episode. In the meantime, if you want to head to trustedland.co.uk or realdeveloper.co.uk, you can download the quarterly requirements index from dozens of experienced SME firms. And of course, at any point, 
want to discuss with Trusted Land matching your off-market site to the exact requirements of experienced accredited developers, drop an email to land at trustedland.co.uk. Remember, if you're going to deal in land and development, keep it real.